This talk was given at the North Carolina Zen Center. Our programming is made possible through the support of our members and friends. If you would like to make a donation to the center or become a member, please visit us at www.nczencenter.org. We have found that it can aid one's understanding of a Dharma talk or Taisho if you sit in meditation beforehand, and we encourage you in this practice. Thank you for listening. So, good morning. I didn't think anybody would show up today, being the weekend of Thanksgiving, but uh, I'm glad you're all here. Um, hopefully, not too, uh, weren't too gluttonous during your Thanksgiving meals. Or... So, we're going to start today from the Satipatthana Sutra, uh, or the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. The Buddha said, Bhikshus. There is a most wonderful way to help living beings realize purification, overcome directly grief and sorrow, end pain and anxiety, travel the right path, and realize nirvana. This way is the four foundations of mindfulness. What are these four foundations? A practitioner remains established in the observation of the body in the body, diligent, with clear understanding, mindful, having abandoned every craving and every distaste of this life. He remains established in the observation of the feelings in the feelings, diligent, with clear understanding, mindful, having abandoned every craving and distaste for this life. She remains established in the observation of the mind in the mind, diligent, with clear understanding, mindful, having abandoned every craving and every distaste for this life. She remains established in the observation of the objects of the mind in the objects of the mind, with diligent, clear understanding, mindful, having abandoned every craving and every distaste for this life. So I thought we would get a little Vipassana today. Um, so... Um, <clears throat> And, and the reason is, is because, to my mind, um, Zen Zen is is like diving into the deep end of the pool, right? And often there's it's it can be quite esoteric and quite confusing. And so I thought it could be helpful to go back to the original teachings of the Buddha. We don't do that much in Zen. We don't get into the original Pali Canon. But I think it can be helpful, it can be inspiring too. I know it is for me to touch back into the into uh, the words of the Buddha. Um, and in the sutra, he lays out the real basics of practice, and so we'll get into that today. Um, <clears throat> this returning to what the Buddha taught, kind of returning to square one, um, it reminded me of this Sufi story, and many probably have heard it, uh, there was a student who wanted to learn guitar. So he went to a guitar teacher and uh, he said, tell me a little bit about your lessons. And so he did. And he, the, the, the guitar teacher said, um, so the first lesson is $20 and then every lesson after that is $10. So the student listened carefully and then said, okay, great. I'll start with the second lesson. <laughs> 
So I thought that was, uh, you know, that's, that's often what we do in practice. Uh, we want to jump ahead, you know, to the, to the next thing rather than on the thing that we're, where we should be. What's next, right? So the, the sutras are pretty dense. Uh, for anybody who's had the chance to browse the Pali canon, <laughs> they, they're pretty dense. They're, um, quite formidable. But uh, I want to encourage you to take a look, if you haven't, at the original teachings. I mean, they, as dense as they are, what you want to come back to is this. You want to come back to every sutra, no matter how complex it is, is always pointing to the same thing. The Buddha said, I teach two things, right? Suffering and the cessation of suffering. That's it. Nothing else. So the mind complicates it. This is uh, why we have so many complex teachings, because we have entry points for all kinds of different people, all kinds of different places where we're at. Um, But it all comes back to that. I heard one teacher recently, um, he likened the Buddha's teachings to the harm reduction uh, philosophy of drug rehabilitation, drug and alcohol rehabilitation. Have you heard of this uh, harm reduction? Harm reduction is basically meeting people where they are. In other words, um, it started in, I think in England, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, clean needle programs. Right, Rather than asking people to give it all up, Right, but give them give them clean needles. Give them, you know, alternative drugs. Uh, meet them where they are. Right? Meet them where they are, rather than this kind of steep cliff of, oh, give it all up. You should just be able to give it up. And I think this is this is very um, much in line with what the Buddha, the way the Buddha taught, was to meet where meet people where they are, rather than. Um, uh, these steep cliffs of practice. This meeting people where they are, meeting us, meeting, letting ourselves meet ourselves where we are, is, I think, the the basis of compassion, the basis of understanding. Um, that awakening, this awakening process that is at the heart of the, Buddha teach, uh, the Buddha's teaching is in um, this present moment awareness. This, um, the, that, the awake, that awakening itself is found in the circumstances of our life, not in some heavenly realm, not in some imagined place um, other than here, but in the very... Um, difficulties, the very uh, grist uh, that is our life. And so this sutra, this uh, Satipatthana sutra, is really pointing us back to that. So I want to get into that. The sati, sati means mindfulness. That's the most common translation of the word. Although I think a more accurate translation that I like, that I've heard, is recollection, to recall. 
So, so in Zen and in Buddhism, what are we recalling? What are we recalling? The present moment. The present moment. Which is kind of strange to say, I'm going to recall, I'm going to recollect the present moment. But that's what we're doing. We're saying, oh, because usually what we are is we're in a dream. And so we're recalling ourselves back to the present moment. So the Buddha lays out in these four foundations or four um, establishments of mindfulness, uh, four areas, sort of areas that we should pay attention to. And this first foundation, the Buddha asks us to practice awareness or mindfulness of the body, um, to work with the body and the breath, which is, of course, what we do in the beginning practices of Zen. But it's much more difficult than it sounds to be present with our bodies because a lot of us have troubled relationships with our bodies, don't we? We have troubled histories and um, we don't we don't really like our bodies. Um, they give us trouble. They smell. Uh, <laughs> they, um, they creak. They're in pain. Um, we don't like the way they look. Um, and so... I think for a lot of us, we're kind of at war with our physicality, you know, and and this so this first establishment, this first foundation of mindfulness is is asking us on some deep level to make peace with our physical existence. It begins with the practice of breathing, which we all do in Zen. Well, most traditions have that practice, but it extends out from there. It actually deepens and goes into asking us to be present with our bodies to establish present moment awareness as we move. As the Buddha said in the four postures, the standing, walking, lying down, and sitting. But let's extend that out, right, to our driving, to our typing, to are sipping coffee, gripping the steering wheel of the car, discomfort in our digestion after we ate too much. So, you know, this is all, um, I think the Buddha is attempting to get us to, like I said, remind us that we're physical, we're animals. We're not this ethereal, spiritual creature that we think we are. We're not some little dude or little dudess up in our head. We are here. In this, in this uh, first foundation, he, he really gets into it. And it's actually quite startling for people that haven't read it. And if you haven't, I want to encourage you to read it. He, gets in, he says, establish mindfulness, not just in the breath, not just in those postures, but in the, what he calls the 32 parts of the body. You know, um, the head hairs, the body hairs, the teeth, the skin, the nails, the sinews, the kidneys, the liver, the intestines, the contents of the stomach, the feces, the bile, phlegm, pus, blood, 
sweat, fat, tears, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, urine, and on and on. You know, this is what we are. Not some imaginary thing. And this relief is startling because many of us come to a practice like this wanting to escape the messiness of the body, wanting to escape our physicality rather than embrace it. That we are this bundle of nerves, these limited, limited bodies in space and time. He said we should, in this part of the sutra, he said we should investigate ourselves like, quote, we're a bag with an opening at both ends full of many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice. And we should review it. So the question that becomes for us as Zen practitioners, because remember Zen is about questioning, who is it? Who is it that is investigating? Are we our bodies? Another way to conceptualize it would be, who are we? Are, are, we, are we us without our tears or without our right arm? Are we us without our brain? Like, who, where, when does it become, when does it stop being us? Like, how many parts would you have to remove? Remember the old koan about the cart, the, if you took the uh, axles and wheels off? Yeah, I gave a talk on that last year. So how many parts do you have to remove before it stops being you? Who are you? So the Buddha is asking us to question the very nature of who we are through the body. He actually goes on in this part of the sutra to encourage us to sit with um, in the in the carnal grounds in the in the um, with with bodies with corpses to to really. Get us to face this impermanence. And it's quite explicit what he asks us to sit with. The second foundation of mindfulness, going on from the body, the Buddha asks us to investigate further, to move seamlessly to this um, cultivating mindfulness of the feelings. <clears throat> he says, whenever the practitioner has a pleasant feeling, she is aware I am experiencing a pleasant feeling. The practitioner practices like this for all the feelings, whether they are pleasant, painful, or neutral, observing when they belong to the body and when they belong to the mind. This is how the practitioner remains established in the observation of the feelings in the feelings. I like this phrase, actually. Uh, Practicing of the feelings in the feelings. Of the body, in the body. In other words, right here, like merging with it. This is very Zen. Getting, being it, 
mindfulness of the body in the body, mindfulness of the feelings in the feelings, not pulling back on like some witness of hovering above our life, watching, but be establishing mindfulness as them. So this second foundation is really basic. It's, it, it's much more basic than we might think. Um, it's important to say that because it's easy to think, well, there's so many feelings. Like, I've got feelings constantly, right? But this second foundation is, 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 is much more basic than that. It's not, you know, these lists of feelings that you get at your therapist's office, right? Uh, that you put on your refrigerator and you go, okay. And, he, and they ask you, say, anytime you're feeling something and you're not sure what it is, go to the list. Oh yeah, I'm annoyed, right? Or whatever it might be. So, so it's not like that in this second foundation. It's, it's simply, am I feeling pain? Am I feeling pleasure? Or am I in this neutral kind of not feeling much at all? Which, by the way, is, is quite a deep, um, has a lot to it. Um, so it's, it's kind of checking in with ourselves. What, where, where right now do you feel, what are you feeling right now? Okay. That's what, okay. Yeah, I feel some pain. I feel, oh, I'm not really feeling that much at all right now. So it's very, it's very to the point. And I think this is an important practice for some of us because some of us don't know what we feel. Some of us are checked out from what's going on inside of us. We've learned to do that. Um, I think some of us have learned to numb out. Maybe we've had to. Um, for example, some of us put other people first, have had to put other people first, constantly putting people first. And, you know, I ran into this first um, a number of years ago, working with somebody who said, I just don't know what, I say, what are you feeling? They say, I just don't know. I'm not used to paying attention to myself. I always had to pay attention to, oh, I have to pay attention to my kids. But before that, I had to pay attention to my mom. I had to pay attention to my dad, my little sisters, because I had to take care of them. I don't really know what I like. I don't know what what's I want to do. I don't know what I enjoy. And it was very hard for this person to get a real basic foundation of what is it that was going on with them physically, mentally, emotionally, in their bodies? And it, it was, and so, so this is very common for people. The other reason, the other way we can be out of touch with what's going on inside of us is, you know, when we are um, um, going at kind of light speed, living, living just the next thing after the next thing after the next thing after the next, right? So we're never really experiencing what's here. No. It's always what's next. Some of you may be thinking that, like what's going to happen after this? And then what am I going to do this afternoon? And then what am I going to do this evening? And then what am I going to do tomorrow for first day back to work? And you're already on Wednesday and it's still Sunday, right? You see. And so the Buddha is asking us, come back. What are you experiencing now? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. This is also the basis of craving and aversion. Because when we're experiencing something pleasant, we want to crave, we crave it. We crave more of it. We want more of it. We want to keep it. 
And when we're craving, uh, when we're experiencing something unpleasant, we want to get rid of it, push it away. And so he's, the Buddha asks us to notice that, not to change it. This isn't about changing anything. It's just to notice that pushing and pulling that we get into. Push, pull, push, pull. In this neutral territory, this neutral feeling, not um, nothing going on particularly in our bodies and our minds, how this too can be an interesting place of practice, right? Because when we're neutral, when we're in neutral, the mind can go all kinds of places. It can check out. It can uh, go into daydreaming states, right? And it can just kind of like, oh, there's got... You know, it's like we don't have an anchor of pleasure. We don't have an anchor of pain to keep us in the present. And when that when that's not there, our mind goes, gone. So this neutral territory is interesting. The neutrality is also a... It's like fertile ground. It can be ground for unskillful actions... Or it can be ground for skillful action. It can be ground, you know, let's say you're not feeling kind of bored, checked out, not really around. Well, uh, let me go pig out on some junk food, right? Or let me go binge watch on some television because I'm kind of numbed, I'm bored. It can also be, but this neutral territory can also be really important. It can be a respite. It can be that necessary kind of resting that we need. So it's not, um, it's neither good nor bad, but it has the potentiality for uh, these different mind states and behaviors that we get into. So to notice the neutrality, to notice the pleasantness, the unpleasantness, the neutral. Okay, the the third foundation (coughs) is bringing mindfulness of, to the mind to the mind. This is that once we have settled our bodies, once we've kind of established this ability to notice our basic feelings, to then enter the territory of the mind, paying attention to our reactions, uh, our uh, the, the, the what I like, I like the, um, the image of a constantly running um, tape. That's always happening in the brain. So, so this image of this constant chatter that's going. So it's almost like we are here and then there's this constant background going. Constant tape looping back and forth. And so this third foundation is about establishing mindfulness of these further um, processes of the mind, of the feelings. He says... When the mind is distracted, the practitioner is aware, my mind is distracted. When the mind is not distracted, she is aware, my mind is not distracted. When her mind has a wider scope, she is aware, my mind has widened in scope. When she, her mind has a narrow scope, she is aware, my mind has become narrow in scope. This, this is an important, this is very important as 
far as practitioners go, especially, you know, this political kind of landscape that we're in these days, where everybody is so sure of themselves, like everybody, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're very entrenched in your political opinions, right? And so this, 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 esta- this, this foundation of mindfulness is asking us to question our opinions, to question how seriously we take ourselves, to question how seriously we take what we believe to be true about others, about ourselves, to notice it, to watch it, to be aware of how strongly we hold on to opinions. Um, some people know I recommend when, when we're really taking something so seriously to, to um, and we want to loosen up a little bit, here's what you do. You take your most cherished belief and you sing it out loud to, to happy birthday <laughs> or some other ridiculous song. Right? You know, you're so right. You're in an argument with your spouse or somebody in your family and you're so convinced that they're wrong. So you take your opinion and you sing it out loud to the tune of happy birthday. Cutting through that self-seriousness. Cutting through the self-seriousness. This is very important. But as a reminder, these foundations are not asking us to necessarily change, but just to notice. To notice how seriously we take ourselves. To notice how we get caught in our opinions, in our feelings. Just to notice. (coughs) And then the fourth foundation. This fourth foundation is a further investigation. An investigation into what he calls the dharmas, or objects of the mind. This is um, looked at many different ways, but it's a, in this fourth foundation, the Buddha lays out the basic teachings. Everything from the Four Noble Truths to the Five Hindrances, to the Six um, Senses, to the Seven Factors of Awakening. But I think one of the most important parts of this foundation is the Five Hindrances. To notice, in other words, what gets in the way of establishing mindfulness. What is it that is getting in the way right now for you of establishing mindfulness? So what are the five hindrances? Britain always has to help me out with this because I always forget. But clinging, aversion, right? So pushing, pulling, restlessness. The opposite of restlessness, sloth, right? Or laziness. And then doubt, doubt. But, um, you know, all these, all of us can connect with one of these more than another, I believe. I believe that one of us, that one of these stands out to you. Clinging gets in the way of, you know, I've got to have it my way. Or perhaps I don't want something getting in the way. Or, Restlessness, anxiety, kind of needing to get on to the next thing, preventing us from establishing mindfulness. Or maybe it's uh, laziness of just wanting to check out, 
preventing us from establishing mindfulness. Or doubt. Doubt, of course, is what the Buddha identified as the most problematic. Doubt. Doubting the teachings. Doubting. Because if you are doubting, if you, if doubt gets a foothold, if it gets in there, if it establishes roots, you're screwed. Aren't you? Because there's not much you can do about it. I, hey, you know, this, this teaching's just not for me. It's not true. You know, I don't believe it anymore. Okay, done. So it's very hard to work with doubt when it gets in. But this again, can we establish mindfulness with this? Oh yeah, there is doubt. There is doubt in the teaching. Okay, how do I skillfully work with that? So this fourth foundation is is complex, as I said, and we don't have a lot of time to get into that. But to come, let's bring it back just to close up, to bring it back to Zen. This is important. <clears throat> These early teachings are not, like I said in the beginning, not so much explained in Zen, not so much explained in Zen, but they're in there. I mean, you know, we, we come from this Soto school of Buddhism um, this, which at its core is shikantaza, this practice of just sitting. In other words, being this open awareness, open awareness. What comes in, we just notice, we don't attach, we don't reject, we just notice. But you can see, you know, in the beginning stages of Zen practice, we establish mindfulness of the body, we pay attention to the posture, we pay attention to the breathing. We let go of thoughts and just bring ourselves back. We notice them, bring ourselves back to the present. And in Shikantaza, these four foundations are all present. This is the basis of Shikantaza. This open awareness. So this, this, um, I think this, these four foundations are fundamentally, um, inspiring because they ask us, or they just say, you know, notice where you're at. Accept where you're at. Be where you, be who you are. Don't try to change yourself. Just notice. Just notice. So, why don't we open it up for a few minutes of discussion, um, and then we'll stop and recite the four vowels after that. If anybody has any questions, comments, additions, uh, something I left out, obviously this is a big topic.